little one-off uh, because I didn't want to do the next chapter in the book of Acts because people who can't make it out to the church on the farm, they go, what'd you preach on? And we don't have the ability to to uh, videotape out here. So uh, we'll pick that up next week. Today I want to preach on Matthew chapter 16 on the question, who do you say that I am? Jesus asked that question of his disciples. Who do you say that I am? You see, that is a question that every person on the earth is going to answer one day. You either answer it here on this earth before Jesus and calling him your Savior, or you're going to answer it standing before the great white throne judgment one day, and he's going to say, who do you say I am? And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, he's going to say, depart. But Jesus was talking with his disciples, and he had taken them north from Galilee, about 30 miles to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's on the way to nowhere. You have to want to go there to go there. And Jesus left the place that he was ministering and he took his disciples up there to ask them a question. Now, why Caesarea Philippi? Well, Caesarea Philippi was a pagan center of worship. As the name suggests, Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi, Herod Philip, was the one who built it. And at Caesarea Philippi, it's at the base of Mount Hermon, and out of it flows the headwaters of the Jordan River. It comes right up out of the rock. How many of you have been to the headwaters of the Metolius? Isn't that awesome? You stand there and you literally watch the Metolius River come out of the ground. Well, the same thing happened here, and the and the the Greeks were so enthralled with it, they named it after one of their gods, Pan. And for those who know the Greek gods, what does Pan look like? Half goat, half man, right? So uh, picture one of one of Molly or Susie with a head on them, right? <laughs> And they, they call it Pan because they worship nature. And so Philip, Herod Philip, went up to, to this place where Pan, where Pan was. I'm going to trip over my shoes here. And he decided to build a couple temples. He wanted some place that he could go worship. He's in the middle of all of these Jewish people that have a temple of their own in Jerusalem, he wants something to worship. And who do the Romans worship? Caesar. Caesar was their god. And so he builds a temple to Caesar. And then across from the temple of Caesar, 
He want, thank you. He wants to hedge his bets, so he builds a temple to Zeus. And then of all things, they had one more place where they worshipped goats. So if you want to worship goats, you can go there. And, and I won't go into all that they, how they worship, but it was disgusting. And it was carnal, and it was, it was pagan to the bone. And Jesus takes his disciples there and standing in front of all of this pagan idols and, and temples, Jesus asks the question, so turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 13, and we'll read to verse 23. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist. And others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ, the Messiah. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And he turned to Peter, said, Get me, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you're not setting your mind on the on God's interests, but on man's. Wow. What an amazing dialogue. Do we see both ends of this pers the, the perspective, right? You are the Christ. No, Lord, it'll never happen to you. I love Peter. He's, I mean, he's like me. He sticks his foot in his mouth so many times. You know, buy good shoes that are tasty, right? The first question that Jesus says is who do people say that the son of man is 
You ever, you ever have somebody, a teacher, that really didn't like to grade tests? So he'd say, now this is going to be on the test. Write it down. I, I had a teacher in college that he would say, now if I stop, you know it's going to be on the test. He hated grading tests. He wanted everybody to do good. And so if you paid it, if you were not asleep, you got all the questions right. Jesus said, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's an Old Testament. Who were these guys? These guys were all Hebrews. He was giving them the answer. Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? In Daniel chapter 7, he talks about this in verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presenting before him, and he said to present him before him, and to, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all the peoples and nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Amen? Kind of clear who the Son of Man is. Right? And he says, who do people say that this is? Jesus Christ is called the Son of Man 82 times in the New Testament. He used it of himself to the people that he was talking with, especially when he talked before the Jewish leaders. They should have picked up on that directly from the Old Testament. Who do people say that I am? And if you go out today, anywhere you want to go, and you say, who do, you, who do you say that Jesus is? What kind of answers are you going to get? What? Messiah? What? God? A prophet? A good teacher? Savior? Redeemer? What? A person in history. You will get all kinds of answers if you go out and ask people, who do you say Jesus is? These guys gave three answers. Well, actually, they gave four. One where they were hedging their bets. One of the prophets, you name it, you pick it, right? But if you were to go out today and say, who do you, who do you say Jesus is? A couple weeks ago, I talked about a book by... Josh McDowell, evidence that began the advance of verdict. He wrote one before that called More Than a Carpenter. And that was his premise for coming to Christ. Either Jesus was a lunatic, a liar, or he's Lord. But the world today, some people say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I think he's just a myth. If you go to a Muslim, they'd say, oh, he's a prophet like Muhammad. If you go to the Mormons, you're going to hear them say, oh, he's an angel like Michael. If you go to the Jehovah Witnesses, you're going to get, you're going to get all kinds of answers from people, but they gave three. And I think the three answers are a lot like our world today. The first one, he says, 
Because Jesus, remember what he's been doing. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's been raising the dead. And so people say, A, you're John the Baptist. Now, why John the Baptist? Well, first of all, he'd just been beheaded, hadn't he? In chapter 14, we find that, that he, he gets beheaded. But people like John the Baptist. They flock to him. Why? Because he was an amazing preacher. He captivated audience. People followed him down to the Jordan River to be baptized. He was a, an amazing preacher. Jesus was an amazing preacher. I mean, he would sit on the side of a mountainside and preach to thousands. And they would sit and listen probably for hours, long enough that they missed lunch and dinner. And Jesus had to feed them. He was an amazing preacher. You see, a lot of people get, they get caught up in, oh, wow, did you hear so-and-so preach? He's amazing. But he's doctrinally wrong. All you got to do is turn on your TV and you'll see all kinds of people that have a great, way to deliver a message but it's the wrong message we have to be wise when we're listening to what because they sound really good well if you name it and claim it God will give it to you they said some of, some people say you're, you're John the Baptist raised from the dead As a matter of fact even even Herod himself, in Mark chapter 6, Herod heard, Herod Antipas, heard about Jesus preaching. He was the one that had him, John the Baptist, beheaded. And he said, is this John the Baptist raised from the dead? I mean, that's pretty impressive preaching if you think that this guy is... A resurrection of that. People can be drawn into a great orator. You know, we've been, uh, one of my Bible studies at Brookdale, we're in Revelation, and we've been talking about the Antichrist. And, I, you know, if you look around you, I don't know about you, but I think we're pretty close. Okay? I mean, read Matthew chapter 24. You see what's going on in the world. Is God going to come back soon? I think so. If so, Antichrist needs to be on the scene, doesn't he? Are you watching the news? Because guess what? He's going to be an amazing orator. He's going to be able to be a peacemaker that gets people to come together that have never come together before. He's going to be able to do that in the government. He's going to be able to do that in religions. He's going to be a smooth talker. But it's going to be the wrong message. You see, they said, first of all, John the Baptist. Secondly, they said, 
He's Elijah. Oh, Elijah. How many of you like Elijah? You ever read the Old Testament? You're like, go Elijah. He's awesome. I mean, this guy, this guy not only goes, he's a prophet. He he goes around, he's a circuit-riding preacher, and he goes around, and and, and one day a, a lady who, couldn't have a baby, had a baby, and then it grows up and it dies. He dies. That little boy dies. And she goes to Elijah and says, why did you give me this baby only to let him die? And Elijah goes, he raises him from the dead. <laughs> wow. I want to know that guy. Next time I get shingles, right? If you've suffered through that, that's an old people. Right? Right? I want to know Elijah. Elijah said it's not going to rain. And it stopped raining for three years. Then he climbs on the top of Mount Carmel and has a contest and and, and watches his 450 prophets of Baal do their thing. And he calls down fire from God and God delivers. And boom, everything's... Everything's destroyed. The altar, the, the sacrifice, and then then he says, listen, I'm going to go pray for rain. And he starts praying. And he sends his servant. He says, go over and look. Look off the edge of the mountain and tell me if you see the clouds. Don't see any clouds. Okay, I'm going to pray some more. Go back. And they do this several times, and then finally he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, you better start running, because rain's coming. And if you've ever, we just watched this happen down in in southern uh, United States. Uh, a storm that hasn't happened in 70 years came up through there. And guess what happens when torrential rains come down on actually totally arid land. You have flash floods because the water can't soak in. The ground's too hard. And Elijah says, run! I mean, this guy is incredible. He said, he's Elijah. Why? Jesus did the same thing. Funeral's going on one day. They're taking, taking this lady's son out to bury him. And Jesus lays his hand on the coffin. Nobody does that. Not even the guys carrying. They would have carried him all wrapped up on poles on their shoulders so they didn't have to touch the body. And Jesus says, wait a second. And everybody stopped. And Jesus said, son, get up off there. I'm going to give you back to your widow mom. Then he raises a little girl that everybody says laughed at him. She's dead. And all the miracles that Jesus did healed the sick, stopped the bleeding of the woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, made the lame men walk again, made the blind men see, got leprosy and said, stop. And it stopped. It was healed. So they said he's Elijah. He's the miracle worker. Sometimes in the world today, what does the world want? They want a miracle. They could care less about God until one day the doctor walks in and says, it's inoperable. 
Now they want a miracle-working God. They could, they didn't want anything to do with God before, but they wanted Jesus that does miracles, and He does. We have people sitting right here that can that can testify to the fact that God does healing miracles in their lives. I'm one of them. People want that, and they said Elijah, because they want. A miracle-working God. They don't want a God that they have to serve. They don't want a God they have to worship. They don't want to have a creator God that they're responsible to. They want a miracle-working God. But only when they need it. And then he finally says, Jeremiah. Who is Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. Don't you want compassion? Everybody wants compassion. Isn't that a song? Everybody needs compassion. That's what our world needs, doesn't it? When Jesus stops the crowd and says, Who touched me? Everybody's like going, it's like, you know, everybody's all around you. And he says, no, somebody touched me. And finally the lady that had the hemorrhage raises her hand and says, it was me. She said, I knew that if I could just touch the hem of your garment, I would be healed. Jesus said, your faith made you well. See, he was a man of compassion. See, when he went to... Samaria, which the Jews hated. And he found a woman coming out at the middle of the day because she was she was somebody that was shamed in her community because she'd had five husbands and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. Came out in the middle of the day because none of the women wanted to have anything to do with her. And Jesus said, hey, if you only knew who was asking you for water, you would ask me for living water. He showed her compassion. He didn't judge her. Another woman caught in the middle of adultery was thrown in the middle of the temple and Jesus said he who is out without sin throw the first stone because she should have been stoned. And then he began to write in the sand and when I get to heaven I'm going to ask him what he wrote. And they all left and Jesus looked at her. A woman most likely a prostitute caught in the middle of adultery and he says where are the men that went to condemn you and he said they're not here he says well, I do not condemn you either go and sin no more who needs compassion absolutely everybody and they look to Jesus and they they say, I want a Jesus that has compassion. And he does. But the bottom line, that's not the answer. The world has different ideas about who Jesus is, but seldom do they see him as Savior and Lord. That's you get those are the places you write in, right? I just want to make sure I get them all. But then he asks the second question. But 
say that I am? That is a question that only you can answer. Your mom or dad, they can't answer that for you. Your spouse can't answer that for you. Your own, even your pastor can't answer that for you. You have to answer that yourself. And Peter, Peter is that kid. You ever have that? We got some teachers in here. I know the answer! Put your hand down, Bobby. Let somebody else answer. Because Peter had answered this before. He had affirmed Christ before. And he stands up and says, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Yes, Peter, you got it. But we have to answer that for ourselves. See, a lot of times we will be glad to say, Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. As long as he doesn't meddle in my life. See, I like him as Savior. I like having fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell. But the Lord thing? Not so much. Who do you say that Jesus is? If he's just your Savior, you're missing out because God said what? He wants you to have life and how life abundant. He wants you to live in His grace. He wants to give you all those things that are good. And if all we do is live in His salvation, we're missing what He has for us. This life is a preparation for the next life. You ever thought about that? You know, it says one of these days we're going to be changed into his likeness. Wouldn't it be nice if that change was not so drastic? Right? That we began to live so much like Jesus here on this earth that when the time comes that God says, hey, you're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye that you're like going, wow, that was just cosmetic surgery. But what does that take? That takes discipline, right? Discipleship, discipline. To become like Christ. We have to live like him. We have to read his word. We have to be in communication with him so we know what he wants from us. Then we just have to follow because he prepares the way for us. And as, they, as Peter acknowledged him as his personal Messiah, Jesus says, good job. You got it right. And then he does a couple things. The first thing he does is he says, you're blessed because the Father revealed the Son to you. Man didn't reveal him. The Father did. Now, why is that so important? Because when God 
reveals the Son to you, what happens? You become more like the Son. Because it's not the world's view of Jesus. It's not the Jesus the preacher, Jesus the healer, Jesus the compassionate. It's the perfect Son of God. And He is there for what? He's there for whatever you need Him for. He wants to change your life. If you don't want your life changed, don't come to Jesus. Because He is the life changer. And the Father will reveal Him. Do you realize that God is revealing His Son to you every single day? I mean, just look at creation. Who was with the Father in creation? The Son and the Holy Spirit. They all three were there. When you see the miracle of birth, what does God say about every child that's born? They are born in the image of God. He is, the Father is constantly revealing Jesus to you. And all we have to do is look and listen. He reveals him, of course, through his scripture, which we ought to be in every day. But he also reveals him in other believers. You ever, you ever see somebody who go, wow, I, I want to grow up to be like that? I want to have the heart of compassion of that person. I want to be like, and then when you go, what's your secret? I'm just, I'm just a Jesus follower. Jesus takes me where I need to go. I follow what he says. And the Father blessed Peter by revealing the Son to him. The second thing that happened to, to, to Peter what was his name before now? Simon. His name was Simon. Bar Jonas. Simon, the son of Jonah. He was a fisherman. And because of this, Jesus says, Your name is now Peter, the rock. Well, not, now, not exactly the rock, right? Now, some of you watch too much wrestling. He's the little rock. He said, you're the, you're the little rock that's going to be part of the foundation of the church. Who preached the first message? Peter did. He said, listen, brother, I've got great work for you to do. Peter was the go-to guy. Man, that guy could preach. And he said, you're going to be He's going to change your name. You know, God did that a lot, didn't he? Sons of Thunder, James and John. Now, I don't know why he called them Sons of Thunder. It never really gives us the backstory, but I want to hear that one too. Barnabas was not his real name. What Barnabas is the son of encouragement. Do you realize that God wants to change your name? That's something you got some pretty. Hosanna's got a pretty cool, pretty cool name, right? Hosanna, yeah, right. God save us, please, right? Hosanna. Maybe, but, but maybe God wants to say, "Your name's the healer." 
because she's just embarking on her CNA career. She's going to college, and she just got her got your license yet? Close, close. Couple weeks. Working with working with folks and being. Wouldn't you love to have that name, Healer? Hosanna, the Healer. God, when we become more like Him, He'll let you know what your name is. It's going to be whatever attribute that God has given you. Well, not only did he change his name, but he gave him power. Did you catch that? He says, hey, Peter. And I believe that he was also not just talking to Peter, but I think he was talking to the others at the same time. And he tells him, he says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven that's a lot of power that's a lot of power that God gave Peter wouldn't you look, look at that Woo! there we go let the light come <laughs> that wasn't me but that power, do you realize you have that power? What does God say about prayer? Wherever two or more of you are gathered together, I am there in your midst. And what else does it say about prayer? If two of you will agree on anything, I'll do it. That's why I get so excited when I hear about 2,000 people getting together out in a field in tangent to pray. Because if two have power, 2,000, every one of you has an angel, right? And that angel's job is, is, is to communicate to God. And you're going, hey, God, I got a 911. This world needs help. And we have the same power that Peter had. God gives us that power. Our verse for the year. Anybody remember what it is? Acts 1.8. And you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And even to the remotest parts of the earth. Well, after Jesus gave Peter all of these blessings, something hard happened in Peter's life. Jesus told him something he didn't want to hear. I'm going to die. Peter didn't want to hear it. Matter of fact, Peter... Not, he just turns around from saying, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then this, I, I just get, I just get taken back when I read this. And Peter took him aside. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, that's all right. We don't need this. Peter took him aside. He said, 
My version reads, For, Forbid it, Lord. God forbid it, Lord. Anybody else have another translation? Anybody say, Never, Lord? Never? The, the Greek term is, Umi. Umi in Greek is a double negative. Never, not ever, Lord. Do you see a problem there? If he's Lord, what are you telling him no for? But Peter says, not on my watch. In fact, later he's going to get into this, another conversation with Jesus. He says, I'll go to the death with you. I'll go to prison for you. And then he turns around and runs off. Denies Jesus. Never, no, never, Lord. This shall never happen. And Jesus said, Peter, you've got the wrong thing in mind. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. That's pretty easy sometimes to set our mind on man's interests, isn't it? What can Jesus do for me? And we say, God, don't do it this way. You ever do that? I've done it. I want you, I want you to heal me, but I want you to heal me this way. I want you to take care of my financial problems, but I want you to do it this way. Sometimes we want to tell God the way that we have to do it. Now, I do have to get back here because I, there's... I know there's there's one more here that I have to get. Let's see what. Nope, that's the front page. We'll get there. Wouldn't you know it? It's the last page of it. There we go. But as. God looks at us sometimes we have to accept the hard things to know Jesus. You know, it's interesting uh, for those who grew up in the, in the church. Remember the old hymnals? Right? Turn to song number so-and-so. You knew them by heart, right? We need to have, the, we need to have uh, spontaneous singing. You know, you'd have Oh, yeah, I want, you know, Jesus loves me on this page. Interesting thing happened back in the 80s and 90s is several denominations went through their hymnal and they took out all the verses that had to do with the blood. Because the blood offended people. The cross offended people. They didn't want people to be offended, so they took the blood out. That doesn't change the power of the blood, right? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Amen? But people got offended 
It's a hard thing. Jesus, when you come to Him and you surrender your life to Him, it's hard. There are going to be people who are going to disown you. There are going to be people that don't want to have... You're one of them. You're one of, you're one of those Bible people. Amen. Sometimes we have to accept the hard things. And when we do, then God begins to work because, you know, God uses that term also. Umi. Never, not ever. Hebrews 13, 5. I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Umi. No, not ever. That's who our God is. If you're sitting here today and, and you're looking at the answer, who do you say I am? You need to realize that you have a Savior that will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, there's, there's some folks who don't believe in eternal security. They, well, you know, if I, I'm afraid if I sin too much, God's going to take my salvation away. I got news for you. You don't have that much power. You don't. John 10, 27 to 29. You guys ought to remember this from when I preached to John. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. What kind of life? Eternal life means what? Forever. And I give eternal life to them, and they will umi, never, no, never perish. What is Whoa, wait a second. That's a double negative. Never, the one that the English teachers say you shouldn't ever use? Never, no, ever will you perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Right? The picture? We're in the center of God's hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Anybody caught a frog here yet today? There, there's, there's lots of frogs down here right th this time of year. They loved the when the rain came, they were just came out. You catch a frog and you put it in your hand, and if you just had it like this, it could hop out, right? Not that you could ever hop out of Jesus' hand, but then he says the Father puts his hands over it. And then you know what he says? He says, and then this, then the Holy Spirit seals you. And I, and I used this demonstration before. It's like if I got if I gave Scott right now some duct tape and said, duct tape my hands. And that frog is not getting out. You see, a lot of times we want to we want to give ourselves the power to say, I don't want to live like Jesus anymore. 
and I want to just let Jesus say, no, I'm done. I want out of this contract. Jesus says, no way. When I signed your name into the Lamb's book of life, it wasn't in erasable ink. It was stamped, sealed by the Holy Spirit. So today, you need to ask yourself, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? That's the question that Jesus asked every one of us. And I imagine, as I look through this crowd, that most of you at some point in your, your life have made that decision that he's Savior and he's Lord. And if that's the case, hold on, because God is doing some mighty things. And all we have to do is get on board with it. Some people say, well, Pastor, how do I know the will of God in my life? I said, look someplace where God is working and get in the middle of it. And God will show you what the will for your life is. Because he's already doing it. You just need to get on board. And I believe as we go through this, this fall, I believe God is going to do some great and mighty things. All we have to do is get on board with him. You've answered the question. You know who Jesus is. Now you just have to get on board with him. Amen.